John chapter number 3. Thank you for your testimony, Nikita. Um, so it's a blessing to see what God has done in your life and the grace of God that has been at work in your life. And I just pray that you will continue to look to Him and uh, continue to walk by faith and look on to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. And uh, in a moment after the service today, <clears throat> we'll just uh, spend some time. It's uh, the, uh, Sister Florence's 80th birthday. Uh, the Lord has given her 80 years and eternity. Amen? 80 years and eternity uh, because of the blood of Christ and the goodness of God. And um, we'll have some cake. Uh, to celebrate that together and then after right after that we'll head to the park and uh, there'll be some time of fellowship there but also and Nikita's family God willing will be there and we'll hear his testimony again for their sake and then we'll see uh, Nikita follow the Lord in waters baptism so and this is Spears Point Park uh, next to uh, uh, the uh, the yacht club there many of you know it if you don't please come and see me I'll send you the pin uh, of the address. God's been good to us, hasn't he? God has been good to us uh, by giving us the greatest gift that anyone can have on this side of heaven, and that is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. I want to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 7. We'll pray and then we'll get into the sermon this morning. John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher, come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we come before you, Father, this morning, and we ask and pray that you'd bless your word to our hearts. Please, Lord, I pray that your word will have preeminence in our hearts and that you would give us uh, sense and understanding. Lord, I pray for people here that are not saved. They're not born again. They don't know thee, Father. They don't know your Son. They know about you, but they don't know you. I pray that you'd also minister to them and to their heart for their own soul salvation. Father, we love you. Help me convey your word. Be with my mouth and heart. I pray that you would uh, continue to, uh, Lord, use your word to get, to, to, to get our attention for your glory, for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ, and for the sake of those that are perishing. In Jesus' name, amen. In the beginning of John chapter number 3, a man named Nicodemus was introduced to the narrative of the life of Christ. The Bible mentions that Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. A Pharisee was a man that was a member of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. He was involved in the leading of the Jewish community. And the Bible depicts the fact that he was no doubt a ruler of the Jews. Uh, in other words, he would have been familiar with the Old Testament covenant, the Old Testament Torah, uh, the, uh, the Old Testament scriptures, Moses' law and the prophets, and no doubt the coming Messiah, uh, uh, which is Jesus Christ. Although Nicodemus seems to have a great desire to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, 
there was some sort of, uh, I would say, perhaps fear or timidness in his heart. And, uh, and we see this because he came to Jesus by night. And it could have been. I'm just kind of assuming the fact here. The Bible really doesn't tell us. But he came to Jesus at night. And by the way, uh, coming to Jesus, Jesus is available to anyone that will come to him any time of the day. Even if it's midnight. Even if it's you know, early in the morning. Uh, and I thank God for that. I, I thank God that God, uh, Jesus Christ, doesn't shut the door on no man. He will receive anyone that will come unto him. And he did with this Pharisee. He received him. But it could have been that he came at night because of his Pharisee friends. He could have thought to himself, if someone saw him come to speak to Jesus, perhaps they would have no doubt uh, persecuted him or he would have been fear of what was going on. Because even in the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was getting a pushback from the Pharisees. They were challenging him for his coming and so forth. And in verse 2, we see that Nicodemus observes some sound and profound facts regarding the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. He says, first of all, he says he calls him rabbi, which means master. All right, and he, says, and he acknowledges the fact that Jesus, without a doubt, had come from God. In other words, that God had sent him. And uh, in John chapter 3, verse 2, it's affirmed that, uh, that he said, uh, Rabbi, we know that thou art teacher come from God. And that's a true statement. As a matter of fact, the Bible affirms this statement. In verse 17, the Bible says, For God uh, sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. So God sent his Son. He's come from God. Uh, in John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And second of all, in verse 2, Nicodemus not only recognizes the authority that Jesus had, uh, uh, but it, it, the authority that had come from God. He says, for no man can do these miracles unless God be with him. Now, a miracle is displayed by a supernatural power that is beyond the natural ability of a man. Okay, so as understood, uh, a miracle was used to, as a sign to authenticate, if you will, the message and the messenger of God. Nicodemus either heard or witnessed uh, the miracle at Cana, or uh, he would have heard about it, and therefore, uh, you know, simply concluded the fact that God was with Christ. And that was the first miracle, by the way. Up to this point, it was the first miracle of Cana, verse 11 of chapter number 2. In the beginning of the miracles Jesus did, uh, did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested, look at this, forth glory. And look at this, and his disciples believed on him. And so the miracles that Jesus did were designed not only to display care and compassion upon people, but it was to demonstrate his power and his glory among them. And, uh, and not only this, you see, uh, it was uh, a way in which God would use the miracles of Christ to draw people to him, to believe on him for a greater purpose, and I believe it's for their soul's salvation. And that's what the end of almost uh, the Gospel of John tells us in John chapter 20, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but look at this, but these are written, these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and believing ye might have life through his name. And so the greatest need for mankind is the miracle of a heart transplant, spiritually speaking. And the response that Jesus gives to Nicodemus in, in respect of Nicodemus's compliment to him was uh, no doubt affirming this, that Nicodemus needs a greater miracle. Not only the miracle of care and compassion, not only the miracle of, of physical life and healing and so forth, but a greater miracle. And he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
He didn't say, Nicodemus, thank you for your observation, thank you for your compliment, thank you for your, you know, your, you know. no, he cut to the chase, if you will. He, he, he got on to the urgency of the hour of that night, of that meeting, and revealed to him the vital condition to enter into heaven. And this morning, I'd like to speak to you on this subject, the vital condition to enter into the kingdom of God. And so I want to give you four things this morning, the prominence of being born again, the provision in being, uh, to being born again, the precondition for being born again, and then the penalty, the penalty in not being born again. All right, let's look at the first, the prominence of being born again. In other words, the importance, the imperative of being born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3, Jesus begins to say, verily, verily, which means truly, truly, or surely, surely, which is a firm amen and confirmation, if you will, to what he's about to say. And what's he about to say now is clear to a very religious man, that no man will see or, uh, uh, the kingdom of heaven except or unless he is born again, the vital condition. No man can see the kingdom of God, no man can see the kingdom of God except he's born again. Now, the phrase except a man would indicate to us, this, this is a universal fact and expression, it wasn't only designated and designed for Nicodemus, but for every man. For every single one. And Jesus makes it clear that if a person is not born again, he cannot, first of all, he says in verse 3, see, and then later on he says in verse uh, 5, and I believe verse 7, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the first has to do, or conveys the idea that he cannot see uh, the kingdom of heaven, uh, means that he would not experience the bliss of entering or seeing God's kingdom. Albert Barnes said this, that, that he would not be fitted for it, or partake from it. Not necessarily see it, but be uh, experiencing the bliss that the kingdom of God conveys to mankind. And then he uses, he cannot enter in. This would mean that he would be shut out of the kingdom. That he would not, uh, by any means, enter in. The door of heaven will shut in his face unless he's born again. Alright, in verse 4 we see Nicodemus kind of confused of what the term born again means. He says uh, to Jesus, verse 4, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb to be born? Now, Nicodemus partly understood what Jesus meant. He understood that a person had to be reborn or rebirthed. But he couldn't understand how the procedure would work for an older person that's all developed and grown up. How can he enter a second time in his mother, mother's room to be born? But, you know, Jesus was speaking on a spiritual level, which Nicodemus didn't understand at this point. So, to be born again refers to this, and you don't want to miss it. It's a spiritual birth. It means to be born from above. It means to uh, be adopted into God's family. It's to have or experience the new nature. It's to be given the new heart by the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, it is to be born by the Spirit of of God. That's what it means to be born again. It's not a denomination. It's not a religion. It's something that takes place at the point of salvation uh, for believers uh, uh, today. Now, Jesus defines this in verse 5. Notice the Lord uses the words a second time, verily, verily, depicting the utter importance of being born again. Verily, verily, surely, surely, truly, truly. Amen. This is it. This is the urgency. Listen, this is the prominence of being born again, it's so important that Jesus kind of confirms this in his heart, that no matter uh, uh, how religious you may be or your upbringing or whatever it is, listen, Nicodemus, ye, I'm telling you now, ye must be born again. And, uh, and he depicts the utter importance by saying verily, verily, a second time. 
except a man be born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god and so he explains uh, the importance of the spiritual birth or the new birth and he talks about the first birth but he emphasizes the second and so verse 6 explains verse 5 look at this that which is born of flesh is what flesh that which is capital s spirit is born of spirit is what spirit now it's clear that by this verse that jesus is referring to a physical birth and then a spiritual birth nowhere in this passage is jesus alluding to water baptism it's not talking about water baptism he's not saying to you they're going to be water baptized to be born again it's talking about a spiritual birth that takes place and we're going to see a bit later on on the point of your salvation all right, you were born from flesh. You were born from Adam, the first Adam, flesh. And now you need to be born of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Now, 1 Corinthians explains this in more detail, but we don't have time to get there. Talking about the earthly man, which is uh, uh, from, from the earth, Adam, but the heavenly man, which is Jesus Christ, uh, earthly. And so every single person uh, must be born again to enter into heaven. It means we must have a spiritual birth that takes place. You were born once, you need to be born twice. If you're not born twice, you will not see or enter in the kingdom of heaven. And so he says in verse 7, marvel not. Marvel not. In other words, Nicodemus, don't wonder or be amazed at this fact. You must be born again. And you must would uh, depict the fact that this is not an option to consider. This is a truth to be believed and submit to if you're ever going to enter the kingdom of God. This is how important it is. This is the imperative. This is the vital condition to enter into the kingdom of God. Or that you must be born again. Now, what's the provision of being born again? That's the, uh, the prominence, the important one. But what's the provision? So yeah, I've got to understand that we must be born again because we have a, uh, a sinful nature. We've been born in sin. And so in particular, the sin of disobedience. The Bible says in Romans 5 verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have what? Sinned. Our sinful nature has been corrupted by sin itself, and the wages of sin is what? Death. And so a dead man needs life. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. We have been dead because of the sin or the curse of uh, death reigning in the body because of the sin of disobedience. And so we need life. We need to be given life. In other words, what Ephesians 2 says, we need to be quickened. We need to be uh, quickened. We need to be uh, uh, regenerated, if you will. We need to be born again. And this is what he's simply talking about. The provision that Jesus gives uh, is simply uh, by the death of the cross. Jesus said that he, I came to give life and that I might have, uh, he says, that you might have it more abundantly. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through who? Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the means of being born again. Without Christ, no one can be born again. He's the provision of being born again. You know, the, the prominence is you have to be born again. But to be born again, you have to come through Christ. You have to be in Christ. Because Christ has provided a way for us to be born again. It's the Spirit of Christ. In our passage, the Lord will go on to explain uh, to Nicodemus that uh, the way of being born again, and he uses an Old Testament illustration in the wilderness, and he says this in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, look at this, so the Son of Man must be what? Lifted up. This is alluding to his death or the death of the cross. And you know what happened in the wilderness? They sinned against God. They were murmuring in the wilderness. 
and they were smitten uh, by snakes or serpents that bit them and caused many to die. And at that day, if anyone would recover from the poison from, uh, uh, that would uh, simply be raining in the body, which is, which is, let me say this to you, a picture of sin. Sin is a poison and it's killing us. But the way that they would be redeemed in that day is that Moses will put a serpent on the pole and he'll lift it up and anyone that looked at that pole or looked at that serpent upon the pole will be what? Live. Says it very clear in Numbers chapter 21. And number verse 19, and Moses made a serpent of brass and put upon a pole and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man and, him, and if he behold the serpent of brass, he what? lived it was just by a look it was believing that plan of salvation in that day and god will use this picture this old testament narrative story picture analogy to contrast it with jesus being lifted up and by the way brethren it's always been by faith to be redeemed from the curse of sin and death always always this is the great one of the greatest examples in scripture and the phrase of Jesus, he says, uh, even, so the son, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, will, will tell us that there's no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. So Jesus must be lifted up. There's a must there. Why? That you must be born again. Without Jesus being lifted up, there's no way you can be born again. You know, gee, uh, Paul said it very clearly, and I don't have this on the screen, but just listen. Paul said it to the Corinthians very clearly that the reason why the love of Christ constrained him because he judged this fact that Jesus died for all. Yes, even the Old Testament saints. Even the Old Testament saints. And I don't have time to develop this when Jesus rose again and what happened during that time and, uh, and how he visited, if you will, the spirits and so forth. And, 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 but you can just uh, you know, try to understand from this verse that without the death of Christ, no one in any generation would ever have the opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. Amen? No one. He must be lifted up in order for you to uh, be born again. He must be lifted up for you to be born again. He must, that you must. Without the must of the Christ, you cannot. You cannot. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And he makes it very clear that Jesus is the only way. The Son of Man uh, lifted up points to the cross of Christ and everything the cross represents. The sacrifice and the suffering for our sin. Everything points to the fact that we have a suffering saviour. No one in any generation can be saved from the sting of sin and death apart from Jesus Christ. No one. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection made the way for the kingdom of God. Because uh, even though he died and he was lifted up, if he wasn't resurrected, then you know, our faith is in vain. Every single person that has died, if Jesus didn't die and resurrect, there's no way we can enter in. So Jesus unlocks the key to heaven by his life and death and resurrection. Uh, one of the greatest miracles and the greatest signs that we can ever have introduced on this side of heaven 
is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In John chapter number 2, the Pharisees demanded a sign from Jesus Christ. You know what he said to them? In John chapter 2, verse 19, he says this, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And you know what they said? They didn't understand. And the Jews said, Forty in six years was the temple in building, and will thou rear it up in three days? And verse 21, but he spoke of the temple of his body, and they didn't get it. You destroy this temple, and they did, by the way, they crucified him, but I will raise it up again the third day. The third day. And so this sign given to us by God through his son would be the cause of the greatest miracle that ever can take place in the human heart. God giving us a heart of flesh and removing that heart of stone. See, without the gospel, without Christ, without the cross and without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no way that you and I can ever enter in the kingdom of God. The miracle of the death, burial and resurrection opens the door to the kingdom of God. There's no other way. Without the resurrection of Christ, there is no new birth. Read 1 Corinthians 15. There is no new man. There's no heavenly celestial beings and bodies is uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the corruptible uh, uh, will not put on incorruptible if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and so the provision of being born again was motivated by God's love you know in our passage of the Bible you know the famous verse for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son provision God provided salvation. It was his plan from the beginning and before the foundation of the world. And it was never by works. Not in any generation. It was always by his son. And the pictures and the types in the Old Testament pointed to the great saviour, Jesus Christ. Hebrews makes that clear, by the way. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, this provision of, of offering up his son for us was motivated by God's love, by God's grace. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should what? Has God changed his mind about that one? So, read the Psalms, read David, read Romans 4, read Isaiah. All our righteousness are like what? Filthy rags. You try to appease God by your works? Poo! Any work done, pre-Pentecost, pre-Calvary, uh, post, any work done, if it's not done by faith, read Hebrews 11, it's in vain. Only faith pleases God. And, and God uses Abraham, the great uh, example of what that looks like. And God offering his son, motivated by love. First Timothy 4, uh, we, we, we're going to get to the precondition. Uh, I, I, I quoted this too early, but we're going to get to the precondition for being born again. Say, so Jesus is the only way to be born again, but you must be born again by believing. The precondition of being born again is on us. In other words, we must believe in order to be, be saved. We must act by faith. 
See, God tells us, or at least he's telling Nicodemus, and we look at into this meeting in this narrative, you Nicodemus, and accept a man and universally must be born again. This is, uh, this is a fact, no doubt. And the provision is through my son. But your responsibility is to believe. And the Bible makes it very clear. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that whosoever, what's that word there? Whosoever what? believes in him should not perish but have what everlasting life that's the precondition every single person has their own responsibility to believe and by the way you'll be judged on that and when to get there a moment if you don't believe you'll be judged on the rejection of jesus christ john 3 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what believes in him should not perish but have what everlasting life first Timothy 4 10 for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men especially of those that what believe so the provision there the, the the pole if you will in the Old Testament that had the serpent anyone in that hour if they look they'll be they'll, they'll live and any man that will look to Christ and believe with his heart his whole heart will be healed from the curse of sin and death galatians 3 22 but the scripture hath concluded all under sin all means all and that the promise of faith uh, by faith of jesus christ might be given to them that what believe believe go to titus chapter 2 i want you to see something in titus chapter oh, sorry number three And uh, have a look at verse 3. And notice what the Bible says there. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. What's that next word there? Disobedience. We can blame Adam, but we too also are disobedient. Okay? Willfully. Every single person has a will that they exercise every day. And over here, the Apostle Paul saying, we, in all the same category, are... Uh, just like Adam, disobedient. Is that clear? Disobedient. Uh, deceived. Serving divers' lusts and pleasures. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is the old man. This is uh, the, the unregenerated man, isn't it? Yes. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done but by his what by his mercy he what he saved us by his mercy he saved us look at this by the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the what Okay, at the point of salvation, you're regenerated and you're born again. Which he shed on us abundantly through who? Very clear. The way to be regenerated or born again by the Holy Spirit is through who? Jesus Christ. That being justified by his grace, motivated by his love, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that affirm constantly that they which have what? Which have believed. 
they have believed should maintain good works. Have. So works doesn't justify you. Faith justifies you. Belief in God's mercy, God's grace, mm -hmm. and uh, you're regenerated. You're, the Holy Spirit baptize you into the, the, the family of God. Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit is, will baptize you into the church, the body of Christ. It's a wonderful thing. But the precondition is for you to believe. And we're talking about genuine faith here. We're not talking about, uh, you know, just a consent of, yeah, I believe, head knowledge. We're talking about a heartfelt faith that brings about true repentance in the life of a person to turn to God through Jesus Christ. Have a look at John 12. I want you to see this. John chapter number 12. John 12, look at verse 36. Oh, verse 32, excuse me. Notice what Jesus says in verse 32. He says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will I draw how many men? All men. How does God draw people to Christ? Via the cross. That's one way. We know another way is by the uh, moving of the Holy Spirit of convicting men of sin, righteousness and judgment. But the preaching of the cross and the gospel is the very thing. The preaching is that uh, very thing that, that moves man to see Christ crucified. And, and it will draw all men to him, whether you like it or not. Right now, you're being drawn to Christ. Saved or unsaved. The cross is being preached. You are beholding him. And there's something that God does by his spirit to affirm that fact. I believe it because I believe the word of God. You can, a person can be stone-faced, hard as can be, but I know the power of the gospel is able to do its work. It's a great work done in the human heart. The greatest miracle. And uh, in verse 33, he said, signifying what death he should die. So he's talking about the death of the cross being crucified. And look at verse 36, however. While he, he says, while ye have light, he, what, did he, what did he say? Believe in the light. And you know, Jesus is the light of the world. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he's, and, he, uh, and we know and understand that he says to his disciples, yeah, the light of the world. And he wanted to continue to carry on the great commission, the gospel that brings light to all people. And so while you have light, and I would say this, while you are alive and living and hearing the gospel, while you see Christ or hearing the gospel, while you have light, he says, believe in the light, that you may be what? Look at this word here. Children of light. That's the born again experience. That's the born again. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles, look at this, look at this, before them, yet they believed not on him. Wow. Wow. So we know and understand that if all men have been drawn to Christ by the preaching of the gospel that all men will hear, one way or another they'll hear some form of light, they'll see some form, hear some form, they'll hear some sort of truth. 
there are some people that will not believe. There were people seeing miracles before their eyes and they would not believe on him. You know, God doesn't want to force people to believe on him. And we know and understand when we look at John chapter 3, what's one of the reasons why they will not believe on him? Because they love what? They love darkness more than the light. That's what the Bible says. Isn't that personal responsibility? Absolutely. They love darkness more than the light. God has given them light, believe in the light while there's light, and they refuse, like they did with seeing miracles before them. They refuse. And this is why uh, you know, we see the narrative of, of Luke chapter 16 with the rich man in hell. And he says, you know, uh, my brothers will believe one risen from the dead. And he says, no, Abraham says ye, they have who? Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Because Moses and the prophets pointed to Jesus Christ. It testified of Christ. It pointed to Christ. And so this leads us to the next point, the penalty in not being born again. There's a penalty, you understand that? I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing not entering in or seeing the kingdom of God, but it's certainly another thing to be cast out of the kingdom and to be thrown and cast into hell. Fire, the lake of fire. And people can smoke and grin on this, this side of heaven. But wow, when they die and stand before God one day, and they're standing as unbelievers, unregenerated people, God will deal with them beastly. You reject the Son of God, God will reject you. You trample on the blood of Christ, God will judge you. You can smirk, you can laugh, but you're going to laugh and smirk all the way to your own destruction. Yeah. Because God is not a respecter of persons. And God is a holy God. Yes, He's a loving God, but He's a holy God. In John chapter 3, verse 17, He says, For God sent not His Son into the world, notice, to condemn the world, but the world through him, but that, that the world through him might be what? Saved. And he that believeth on him is not what? Is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You are condemned already for your rejection of Christ. And verse 36, we know and understand that it's similar in its nature. He that believeth on the Son have everlasting life. Look at this. And he that believeth not the Son, look at this, shall not see, see, life. But the wrath of God abideth upon him. You know, God's wrath is going to come strong down upon those that reject Christ and those that believe not the gospel. You know, it makes it very clear in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 that when Jesus returns, he will, turn, he will return in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that what? Know not God, and look at this, and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and he'll punish them with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, I've got, I have a question for you. Who was shut out of the kingdom of God? The ones that don't obey the gospel. And obeying the gospel is simply believing on Christ. That, that's what obeying the gospel is. Because the gospel is to believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. And the Bible says in Revelation 22, 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments. And the first commandment is to what? For us is to believe the everlasting gospel or the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved by grace through faith. And blessed are they that do his commandments and obey. In other words, repent and believe the gospel. By the way, that's a commandment. Ye must be born again. That's a commandment. How? Through the provision that God has given us through his son and in believing. That's the precondition. And if you don't, the Bible says if you do, you, you have the right to the cherry of life and entering through the gates of, uh, to, in the city. But look at this, verse 15. If you don't, for without are who? Who are they? Heavy language, isn't it? The dogs. And we're not talking about poppy dogs or, or we're not talking about vicious dogs. We're talking about human beings that God calls dogs. Wow. And this is Bible. This is heavenly language. This is God's language. It's not, it, you know, you, you have an offense with that. Go take it up with, with, with the Lord. But if you, you spit in God's face by rejecting his son, it's a, it's a very severe matter. It's a, a very severe thing. To love sin more than the Savior, to love your life more than one that, that, that gave you life, it's a very severe, severe thing. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and uh, whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, adulterers and, and whosoever that loveth and maketh a lie. But there are, you know, there are people that perhaps you know, lie and they regret stretching the truth or saying something that wasn't well, misinformation, lack of memory, but there are people that love to deceive. And there are people that love lying. They thrive on it. In other words, they're unrepentant people. They're wicked people. Because the devil is a liar from the beginning. That's the work of the devil. It's a work of the devil to be a deceiver. Yeah. Judas was, was exhibiting the work of the devil. He was pretending all along that he was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And come to know about it, I mean, we get, we get some information because the Bible tells us he was always the son of the perdition and he was the one that was going to deceive him. But his disciples, those that he dwelt with, didn't know. You say, do you have that in, in the church today? Absolutely. They're called tares. And, and Jesus kind of says, leave them alone because, you know, you uproot that. The, the, the most wicked people that cause division in the church of God are tares and liars and deceivers. They hinder the work of God. And outside are the dogs. You know what Peter says, for the time is come that the judgment must begin at the house of God. Look at this. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of, of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where should the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wow. That's amazing what Peter says here. 
I mean, the house begin, the judgment uh, begins on the in the house of God. How much more these people that are God, uh, you know, rejectors, God haters, unbelievers, how much more them? They're going to be dealt with severely. It's not just, oh, I'm not going to enter in. I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to be with God. This is the narrative on the street. This is what people say to us over and over again. Who wants to be with God? Who wants to be with Him? Ah! Yeah, but you know where you're going to end up. You're going to get judged. You're going to stand before God one day and, get, and you're going to be judged for all that you've done and especially for rejecting Jesus Christ. You know, he says, if, if, if the righteous scarcely be saved, how much more? How much more the ungodly and sinners? I mean, we're all ungodly. Uh, you know, uh, we're all ungodly. You know, Jesus died for the ungodly, but those that believe become godly, amen, because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Uh, those that believe by faith, and thank God for that. But those that remain ungodly are unbelievers, unregenerated people. And it reminds me of what Jesus said when he was going to the cross and there were women weeping for him. When, and he, he said to them in verse 28 of Luke 23, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves, look at this, and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps that which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. It sounds like the, uh, the great notable day of the Lord when he'll come with vengeance and they're going to see him uh, and they're going to hide from him. And look what he says this in verse 31. For if they do these things to a green tree, a green tree. You don't burn green trees. You don't destroy green trees. Look at this. What shall it be done in the dry? They're doing this to the righteous king of kings. And listen, to all his life. You read First Peter. Peter says you're going to be buffeted for following the Lord. You're going to be buffeted and persecuted because of your uh, uh, walk and because of your testimony in Christ. And it's, it's similar in nature. In what, what, what sense? Well, look what they're doing to righteous people. How much more to the ungodly? You persecute righteous people for living a righteous life and following the Lord? There's nothing wrong with that. But people deem it to be evil and they're intimidated by it. And so you persecuting the righteous, how much more the unrighteous and the ungodly are going to be dealt with in that day? It's going to be a, a, a big thing. And you know what? I think Matthew 25 says it best. Let me, let me say this. Turn to Matthew 25 in closing. Let me say this to you. I believe one of the greatest deception that can ever take place in the life of a person is someone who professes Christ but is not born again, doesn't know God. I believe this is the greatest deception. You know, let me say this to you. You can talk the talk and you can walk the walk. But if you don't have Holy Ghost in you and you're not born again and you don't have a relationship with God, man, you're going to be shut outside of the kingdom because the, what, what's, the, what, what's the prominence of being born again? Uh, 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 the importance of being born again? Uh, what, 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 what's the precondition is to believe with all your heart on the provision that God has given us? So in other words, there are people that make professions but they're never regenerated. They're never saved. Why? Because they don't have the Holy Ghost in them. They don't have Christ in them. And I think this is the greatest deception on this side of heaven. 
I really do. I really believe people thinking that they're going to go into the kingdom and they're realizing when they get there, the door is shut in their face. And you say, what's the difference? It was just a profession. They never were born again, never regenerated, never had Holy Ghost in them. They walked the walk, talked the court. They said all the right things. You can be in church, friend, but if you're in church and not in Christ, you can forget about it. How many churchgoers today, religious people, hey, Nicodemus, religious man, ye must be born again. Ye must. Ye must. There's no getting in. Yeah, but I believe in the Lord. You know how many people, not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. And you know what the will of the Father is? It's to believe on his Son. It's to follow his son. That's the will of the Father. And when you truly believe in him with all your heart, you get regenerated. And the Holy Spirit of God enters in you. Look at verse 1 of Matthew 25. He gives a parable of 10 virgins. Well, I believe it's 10 professing Christians. Or I could say 10 professing believers. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto 10 virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps, and while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be none, not for, uh, enough for us and you. But go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with uh, him to the marriage, and the door was what? Shut. And afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open, he says this, open to us. But he answered, and he said, What's that word there? Verily, truly, surely, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day or the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. You know, in that day, coming to the, uh, uh, leading up to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, there are going to be professing believers and possessing believers. This gives us a sober reality of, of the two realities. And I believe the professing believers are not born again. Do not, I believe the oil depicts the Holy Spirit. Do not have the Spirit of God in them. And therefore God doesn't know them. Because the fellowship with God the Father and the Son is through the Spirit that we have, that we've all been baptized in. The one body. And if you don't have, my friend, the Spirit of God, and you say, well, I believe, I do this and I do that, and I go to church, good on you. But you're not going to get in without the Spirit of God. You're not getting in. The door will be shut in your face. And I believe that's the greatest deception on this side of heaven. Thinking you're going in when you're not. What a terrible day that will be because they neglected the great salvation. 
they were mimicking the truth. They were, they, were, they were trying to upkeep their profession by counterfeit works. There was no work of God in their hearts. There's not the witness of the Holy Ghost testifying with them that you belong to me, son. I know you and you know me and they have a vibrant relationship with God. Listen, there's a big difference between tradition and truth, religion and relationship. You can have tradition, but if you don't have truth, you're done. You can have religion, but if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ in the Spirit, you're done. Hey, listen, he must be lifted up, that you must be born again. And without it, my friend, you will not enter in. I beg you, be born again. Say how? Come, look, live, believe on the Lord with all your heart. Come, eat of the bread. Come, drink of the water of life. And, uh, the, you know, you, you, you get saved and they'll be gushing out, if you will, like Jesus said. This eternal life and this joy in the Holy Ghost. Peace and righteousness that no man can give, no religion can give. So how do you know your religion is true? Getting this on the street yesterday. How do you know? I know. Because I've believed on him. But you can't see the wind, can you, Nicodemus? You don't know where it's going or where it's coming from, can you? It's in our passage. Can you? It's like anyone that's born again, my friend. How do I know he lives? Because he lives in my heart. Try to explain that to somebody. Try to explain that relationship that you have with God and how the, the Spirit of God moves in your heart to do the miracle work that you cannot do in loving your neighbor, forgiving, turning the other cheek and all the other things that we see in the Sermon on the Mount only can be lived out with a true kingdom kid that's governed by the Holy Spirit. Just can't. Can't explain it. You've got to believe on Christ. I wish I can give you some of my oil, but I can't. Some of my faith. No, you have to believe. You have to. You must. Personal. For every single one of us. And I beg you here today, if you're not born again, I'll never say it. Are you born again? If you're not born again, come and get born again. Come and believe on the Son. He that hath the Son hath, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Amen? Let's pray.